Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Dental Momentum Podcast, powered by Duckett Lad Dental CPAs and Advisors. Jared Duckett back at you with another episode to help you get better. And today, you guys see on the screen a long time uh, repeated guest, Dr. Mike Abernathy, is joining us here. And uh, he's got, you know, this six part series that we're doing on, on practice transitions, right? Trying to help the dental practice owner out there right now understand options, you know, different avenues they can do, um, you know, sell to, pros, cons, what the transition process looks like. There's nobody better to kind of round up this series than Dr. Mike Abernathy. Just tons and tons of experience on buying, selling practices. Um, so Mike, appreciate you jumping on here, man. Yeah, no, no, thank, thanks for, thanks for having me. Uh, and I don't know what, where this fits in your series of six. So, yeah. and I've not heard them. So, so anything I say had nothing to do I, you know, I, I'm just telling you, I, I'm not trying to be, you know, uh, demean somebody. It, this is my opinion. Uh, I'm not an attorney. I'm not. And again, I don't have anything to sell you. So, I mean, you know, one of the things, and we were talking about this earlier, is that, you know, someone told me this. I, I, if I could remember who told me, I'd, I'd tell you. But they told me that when someone tells you something you want to hear, they're trying to sell you something. Yeah. When people tell you what you need to hear, they're trying to help you. Mm. Okay. Now my goal, cause I don't know exactly what you're going to ask or anything. Uh, I think you said uh, disposition of practices or you said, you know, uh, sales or something like that. And you had these other experts on there. Uh, I'm looking at this from somebody that actually buys and sells practices. Uh, I help other doctors do it, but I do that for free. <laughs> Okay. I mean, just, so I have lots of people call me. I've owned lots of practices, uh, like everybody else, you know, uh, different States, uh, different times. And so that's so what's from. your, what's your saying, Mike, you're going to shoot us straight today, huh? <clears throat> well, yeah, you, you can just kind of go, <laughs> don't say that, you know, I I'll know that I've stepped on somebody's toes. Okay? Well, let's, so. let's do this. Let's, let's just give, again, you've been on here several times. People know who you are, but give a little backstory. Um, Mike, of, of your, your dentistry profession, right? Okay. So what you started, you know, bought and sold practices right. and that right. sort of thing. And then we'll right. start unpacking. Right. No, I, I grew up, uh, I was a lab technician, went to dental school, uh, went north of Dallas, McKinney, Texas, went to college one direction, dental school the other direction, never got more than 30 miles away, opened a practice. Uh, it grew, uh, it grew a bunch. Uh, I had associates and I had partners and then I had multiple practices. And then I've owned practices that I didn't work in. And, uh, you know, I, I've written some books. Uh, I, I, you know, so I, I really look at dentistry. I really love the clinical side of it, but I really like uh, the challenge of running a successful business. Now, I've done other businesses too, but I mean, dentistry is what I really, 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 really know. And, and so when you start talking about the sale process, I mean, it, we're getting not necessarily close to your use before date, because I've seen young doctors sell practice. I've seen middle career doctors sell practices and I've seen older. And I think we need to mention that if we discuss something in detail, how it might be looked at by various age groups. Okay. I agree hundred percent. So, so, so talk a little bit. So long story short, you bought and sold several practices and built a big one down yeah. in Texas. Yeah. So this isn't your first rodeo talking about this. So let's, let's unpack that a little bit. So, and I agree with your statement because on prior episodes, we've kind of <clears> talked about 
you know, it, 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 your transition might look different if you're two years out from practicing clinically, right. you know, or you're, you're 40 year old doctor who still wants to practice another 20 years, if that makes sense. So it, it, it all is different. So <clears throat> let's, let's think about, okay, the dental practice owner out there today that let's say they are a couple years out from not practicing anymore. Okay. So let's say they're like, Hey, three more years, I'm done. No. What options do they have? And then we'll we'll go back to an earlier person or a younger person too, but three years out, what options kind of do they have on exit strategies? I'll use that word exit strategies, transitioning their practice to different types of sellers and structuring and that sort of thing. You know, I, 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 know since you brought that one up first, kind of the use before date kind, I mean, I see people that are older that, that, aren't sure they want to stop practicing, but they still want to sell the practice. Are there people that they're older, they want to sell the practice, they want to walk away? Are there doctors that want to sell portion of the practice and flip over and be the associate while there's another owner? Okay, I mean, so we're looking at that, but I, I think let's preface all of these things under each of you are going to need to decide the why you're selling Okay. I mean, is it, are you going to retire? Is it because of the money? Maybe you really don't like this, never did like dentistry. And you just did it because you spent all that time in there. Uh, or you, you want to go from owner to employee. Uh, or maybe it's your health. Maybe there's something in the family. You know, whatever it is, you need to really look at the why because in a sale, what we very seldom talk about is you can't just sell and walk away you're selling and you have to transition into something else. And I think the planning for that transition is as important as the actual sell itself. So keep that in mind. We'll go into that in great detail. So we're talking about timing for this, this person, you know, how quickly, you know, is this has to be done. Now you, you arbitrarily said a couple of years and, and I'm of the opinion, if you're going to affect the price of the sale and the value of the practice, and having a success, successful transition to something else, it takes at least two years, maybe three to five, depending on your personality. I mean, for me, it wouldn't take a few months. Okay, but most people need to think about it and plan it and, you know, really coordinate a bunch of moving pieces. I mean, I, I don't, my dad was 80 years old when he told me he was going to retire and he was an attorney. And I'm going, I didn't say congratulations, I said, have you told mom? <laughs> and he came back real quick and said, hey, she told me I could come, any, come home anytime I wanted to after five. I mean, this transition affects other people. Okay, so, so again, we're two years out. How do, what are our options? Okay, well, one, we could sell to an individual because you mentioned that you have someone here that is, that is going to be doing a deal where they sold to an individual. Now, that has some pluses. One, there is this false sense that you can control the legacy of your practice after you sell. And so it's, it's very enticing for an older doctor to look at finding the ideal doctor to buy the practice and perpetuate what he thinks is important, you know, like a job for the employees, a great dentist for the patients. All That's awesome, but it rarely comes to fruition, okay? After a sale, generally you'll use 40, 50% in the first year of your, of your uh, employees. Uh, they don't like the changes and all, whatever it is. Okay. But that's, that's certainly one. Now in today's market, you're probably going to get less for that practice to an individual sale than you would 
from a corporation and, sure. and DSOs would be in there, you know, whatever. Okay. So we could sell it. Uh, let's say you're not sure. Well, you could sell part of it. Now, there's a downside to that in that you could sell a third, 50%. I, I've even had doctors sell 98% and still keep 2% so they couldn't be fired. <laughs> okay. I mean, there's a false sense of, of, of thinking that when you sell, that you can't create something that you can still have some control over. And so, again, you could sell a portion of it. Uh, you could sell to a DSO, probably get the highest uh, dollar amount. But would your practice be attractive to a DSO? So I'm assuming the speaker that is a DSO could tell you what they're looking for. Sure. Okay? And, and I would argue, if we have time to talk about this, like what creates value, that most DSOs are clueless as to what gives it value. Very few individuals are clueless as to what makes a good purchase. And, and again, so you're going to hear a sophisticated look at what really should create value. And, you know, so the type of practice you have will make a difference of the options that you might have. If you're an average practice, 600, 700,000, overheads, you know, in the 70% range, 67 to 72% range, uh, you have 25 new patients a month, 20, uh, you've got long-term staff, stuff like that that practice is easy to sell, but most DSOs aren't looking for that kind of practice. Exactly. It doesn't hit okay, their so, radar, right? So there's not, an, there's not an unlimited option for doctors at the time they decide to sell. There are going to be categories of practices that would be more attractive. For example, if we had three different types of practice, a Medicaid, a GP, and a boutique. Okay. Yep. So in general terms, the Medicaid, we kind of know what that is. But the GP could be a little more quantity, volume, speed, or be more a little closer to the boutique, which is going to be mature patients with crown and bridge, stuff like that. Uh, each of them have advantages, each of them have disadvantages, but the one that sells for the most money at the time of sale is? GP? Medicaid. Unpack that a little bit. Okay. Now, and, and this maybe should be at the end of this, but okay, yeah. understand this. Boutique sells for the least amount. Now, that doesn't mean it won't sell for as much at the sales point, but it's not attractive to wise buyers because it's not transferable to the buyer. Mm. Okay, now, what's transferable in a Medicaid practice is if you bought it on, and, and again, a good one is going to net 500 grand a month easy. Okay, I mean, they, there are great Medicaid practice out there. I'm not suggesting I want to practice that way, but if I bought it on Friday, if I aerobically could keep up with the pace, it's going to do 500,000 next month. <laughs> if I buy a boutique practice, generally uh, a very charismatic doctor, uh, highly clinically, you know, really good at that, uh, charismatic, uh, loyal staff, small, not very many new patients, not a lot of money coming in for hygiene, but the cases they do get in the new very high dollar amount, that's not transferable. Yeah. I mean, you know, the kind of doctors that I see doing that, that are really successful. I mean, they eat lunch with the mayor of their town once or twice a month. Uh, they, they, they do the football team. Uh, you know, it, it's just a different deal. And the GP somewhere in between. 
okay? So again, transferability to the next buyer is real important. So if you've gotten in your practice, and we're, we're still talking about the close to retirement practice, where you really like to do Botox, or you like to do TMJ or sleep deals, most DSOs, if they're like, wouldn't even consider that because they don't care anything about Botox. They don't care anything about, they want mainstream dentistry so that they can scale it. Yeah. Okay. So, so again, I'm, I'm getting off topic. I'm sorry. No, you're perfect. So you, you hit on different, so you can sell doctor to doctor. Yep. Or so let's, let's dive into that just a little <clears throat> deeper. And maybe this is a generic question, but when you're selling doctor to doctor, do you, do you recommend, or does it matter if you're, if you, you put it on the market or whatever you find out and find another doctor you've never met before, right. or bring them on maybe as an associate, if the practice can justify it okay. and that, bring that's them important up point. to the ranks, I'll say. Right. There are certain options. If you have an average practice, it is not an option that you bring in an associate leading a partnership because you would need a minimum of 25 to 30 new patients a month per doctor. Right. You would need to have twice the number of hygiene hours as doctor. So if we brought in another doctor, so again, your overhead, you know, your profit loss statement, looking at that, or a cash flow statement, your, you know, looking at this overhead would dictate what's possible. But I have a lot of doctors that tend to straddle a fence and they want to sell, they want to harvest the equity, okay? They want, they want to get money out of their practice, but they also, in, in addition to that legacy they want to pass on, they want to mentor a young doctor sometimes. Yep. And it'll destroy the practice. I mean, it, it just, they can't afford to do it. Uh, uh, again, and if, let's say you did it and go, okay, well, I have an associate. I'll have the associate by the practice. I'll be an associate. Well, this young doctor is going to grow the practice, he's not going to want you there. Yeah. And, and, and the, the sad thing is I've had young doctors go, well, this, this selling doctor is going to stay on for six months and they're excited about this. And I tell them it's going to take you four weeks and you'll want to kill them mm. because the patients don't want to see the new doctor or the associate. They want to see the older doctor and, and the older doctor's thinking that, well, he should be paid more than the average associate should be paid which doesn't work with the overhead. And then every patient that comes on wants the old doc to do the work. And the young doc looks at this and goes, that could have been money in my pocket to pay off my debt. And remember when the buyer buys your practice, the overhead goes up 10 or 12% because they have a note to, to service. Right. Wasn't like that when you had it by yourself. And then, and then like you want to make some changes and you're going, you know, Hey, we'll, we'll pick on bill since he's not there. So bill, I want you know, we want to do this, 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 and this, this. And Bill looks over to you and go, goes, look like Jared, do I really do what this dummy's telling me to do? Which is really great on the new buyers. Okay. So it's very subtle. And, and, you know, what we're touching now is just the outer layer of an onion. You know, you could sit here and talk an hour just about this one area. Yeah. And you'd walk away still confused, frustrated because you had this, this, this vision of how this would, would happen. And then you're disappointed that you are giving up control in one way or another. And when you do that, then you give up control of the results and you've not had that in 40 years of practice. You know, you, yeah. yeah so, so let, let's, let's take this scenario. So let's say the, the doctor, I'm going to, what I say, two years out, three years out, something yeah. like that. 
let's say that they're, they put the practice on the market. Yep. Okay. They're going to sell it. Not, not considering bringing an associate up through and selling it. They're going to either right. sell it. I'm going to say to a DSO, or they're going to sell it to another doctor. Okay. Okay. You hit on a little bit. DSOs are going to pay more. The valuation is going to be a little more. Not necessarily. What, okay. Well, what just, what should you, and, and hit on that, but what should you be considering the difference? I mean, the, between the two pros, cons, yeah, well, I mean, in a walkaway a sale, if I was selling to an individual, I'm gone. Yep. Okay, okay. So it would be just like, it's an asset sale. Okay, an asset sale would be like, I go over to Jared's house and say, Jared, I want to buy you used 1967, uh, you know, with three deuces GTO, and you want 80,000, I'll give you 70, and you go 75, and I go 72, you go sold, I walk out with the asset. Yep. Okay, now, and, and so I'm no longer any part of that practice, right? I'm done. Now you take on a DSO in one of two fashions, they're either taking on all the practice or controlling share of the practice. Sure. Okay, big difference because buying the whole practice, it's going to be an asset sale. And, and you've covered this, I know in some of the other deals, but we're looking, you know, when you make a sale, it, it's kind of like doctors talking about production of practice. It doesn't matter what your production is. What was, what did you actually collect? Okay. What was the net? I mean, what did you actually put in your pocket? Okay. So in an individual sale, you're getting 100% of the sale price on the closing date. And then you have the liability of the tax and any debt you had in the practice being paid off. Yep. And then you net out a certain amount. Okay. Now that's the same in a DSO a little bit in that they're going to, if they buy the whole thing, now, the problem is cash at sale. In other words, we're having a closing, just like we did in the other one, but they're not going to give me what they told me the practice was worth, right? It's going to be a percentage of it. Let's say 60, 70%. So and cash, cash at closing yep. is going to be about 70% of the value they quoted. Now, sure. what's the value of your practice? Okay. It's going to be different in both categories. I find for an individual buyer, it's about one and a half to two times net. Mm -hmm. Now, if I look back, and this is not how you value a practice, but I have a friend that's done 90 sales in three years, okay? It's averaged about 75% of the last 12 months collections. Okay. Now, unless there's something weird going on, like the overhead's 80%, and that way the practice is worthless, okay? So now the DSO is going to do it differently they're going to use some formula of EBITDA. And, and again, earnings it would be, if, we, if we, we take a PL and take out, we normalize it, we take all the stuff out that was really money paid to the, the practice owner in some fashion, like maybe you paid your kids to do something, uh, maybe you're paying for a storage building that's got your bass boat in it, but you're running it through. Okay, all those are, are really out and they're looking at it and they're gonna value the practice based on earnings, but we need to add back to that stack what we have to pay a doctor to do what you were doing. So let's say about 30% of the doctor's production. What's left over is earnings. Now, if you're in, you've got an overhead of 70, 75%, there's not a lot of earnings in that practice. Mm -hmm. And so you may be elated at the value or disappointed. Yeah. Now, regardless of what that number is, they're only going to pay you a certain percentage of that at closing. Now, my caution is this. 
the formulas for how you get the rest of the money. Let's say it was a million dollars. They put pay you 700,000. I'm real concerned about money at closing. That it be equal to about what you could get in an individual sale. Okay. I'm going to I'm going to repeat that to make sure everybody heard that right. So okay. what you said, Mike, is if you're looking at a DSO sale, yeah. the cash at closing, which typically is a percentage of the total valuation, they're not going to give you the whole kit and caboodle up front. Right. You want to make sure that cash up front is equal to or greater than what you would get at cash on. Yeah, a pretty close. Now yeah. I might let let's say now remember the valuations. Okay, just so we don't sit. I'm talking about compared to what an individual would pay for the practice. Yeah. Because the DSO is going to value it differently, but they've got a lot of yeah, buts in here. Yep. Okay. Because you're not getting all the money up front, like the individual buyer, and, and they're going to pay a premium for that. Okay. So after the sale, it's going to work out one of two ways. Regardless of what you do when you sell to a DSO, you're going to owe them time. Okay, that will be normally full time working for you for at least two to five years. Yep. Okay. Now, important thing to remember is if let's say there's a third option, we don't sell it at all. Okay, yep. so sell it to individual, we got what we got. Let's say we kept it and let's say the term on that working for the DSO was five years. Let's, I mean, that's that's rare. I mean, three is probably more average, but I'm going to say five. Okay. okay. Let's say five years. Okay. If I had kept it, the practice and actually stayed engaged and worked full time, just like the DSO is going to cause me to work for five years. Okay. We'd have the money we're making plus what we could sell it at that time. No, right. no guarantees, but okay. Now the DSO gives me 70% up front at closing, cash at closing. And then the rest of it is going to be assimilated in one of several ways. The more common is some type of clawback clause where it's an earnout based on you producing at or above what you produced when you sold it to them. So let's say we had 300,000, we're going to work three years, then just so it's a whole number. Then each year you get 100,000 if and only if the practice produced, I'm sorry, collected what you'd collected prior to the sale. Yep. Now, keep in mind, because they don't spell this out, that in a DSO, you're signing a management service agreement that has a fee of a percentage, and it's usually around 7 to 10%. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, that means for you, you to have your, your collections or the net there are going to be more expenses. So we want to know how is that formula strategized for after the sale? Now, okay. you certainly could go, I don't like this and leave, and you know you left 30%. And if you had gotten what an independent buyer would pay for it, you should feel okay about it. Yeah. But I'm just saying, I would approach this as if you loaned money to your worthless cousin, John, <laughs> and you would never get it paid back, that that could happen. Now, so there's this earn back type deal okay now keep in mind too that you have an employment agreement what are you going to be paid generally i think we I, i'd rather not name people but one of the larger ones pays about 25 percent to the seller as a month as of, of their net 
adjusted collections, okay, right. production, okay, about 25%. Others might pay up to 30. It rarely goes over 30%. Yeah, I've seen 30 now, quite a bit. So you'd have to run the formula because we're comparing these, sale uh, to independent buyer, keeping it, and then you, you let's factor out, what did you give up every month for five years, or three years, or whatever we're doing here, for, you know, in monthly pay that you would have had in the middle one, or you were paid for in the first one, okay? Because you're stuck there for that length of time. Okay, now the other thing I see is the, the money is attributed to stock purchase in the corporation, mm -hmm. in the DSO. Now, what's that stock worth? Not a damn penny. There are no buyers for that stock. You know, so they're, they're gonna say, okay, well, you can redeem your stock, but it can only be sold after five years. I wouldn't care if you, they gave it to me today and I tried to sell it, I couldn't find anybody to buy it. So right. again- That's kind of the equity role yes. that we that discussed. Yeah, and, and so now there is one other DSO. They buy just controlling portion of your practice. Mm -hmm. Not the whole thing, Yeah, but let's say they, they only buy 60%. Right. Now they have complete control and they put your, their arm around you. And there is your, now remember the people you're talking to in a corporation DSO is never the owner of the DSO. It's a salesman. It's his job to, to be your friend up to the point that you sign those papers. You'll never see him again. Okay. So now we've got this guy with his arm around him. Look, I said, this isn't like these other DSOs. We're going to partner with you. We'll help you with your you know, your taxes and your CPA stuff and your marketing will help you grow the practice. And then we'll find someone else to buy this that's an idiot and pay us more money than we paid for yours. And we'll all be wealthy and skip down the golden road to money. Okay, now, so this sounds good. You get this at closing. Now, remember, you lost complete control. Okay, and they're going to recapitalize. That's their word for it. Right. And we'll all reap the benefits of this, which could or could not happen, but you're still betting on the come. Be at the casino, you've got a big pile of money in front of you, and they go, look, give us half of that money, and you're doing so well, you're going to make some more as you roll the dice. We'll share in it, you know, and I will put up, you know, it's, it's, it's not a for sure thing. Now, yes. remember too, when, when, you, when you deal with DSOs and there's, there's some future event, when you started with this thing, you had something in mind. You had a timeline in mind. Yeah, the two things you mentioned at the beginning, the why and the timing. Yeah, so it might be two years. It might be three. It might be five. But this recapitalization, I mean, one of the people that you're going to be talking with that sold to a DSO now has trouble getting funding. Okay? I mean, I mean and correct me if I'm wrong, but when you have an equity partner, somebody that brings money to the table for you to invest in these assets that should spin off a return on investment. Yeah. These equity partners, when they don't get that return on investment, they go find a different asset to buy. Sure. Chasing you. Okay. Yeah. So there, there are musical chairs, music's playing, music stops, not everybody's going to have a seat. So we can't always be sure that this company we're getting in bed with can deliver on their ideal promises. They're not lying to you. They're merely stating what they would like to do in the future. 
and sometimes things don't work out. Okay. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm just saying, so you're betting on the come that sure. something in the future is going to happen. So. so that equity rule that you're referring to on the DSO sale, would you consider that, I'm not going to put words in your mouth, but icing on the cake, not, not considered as part of the sale, but that's just, if you get it. Yeah. Yeah. That's why I'm saying if you could get what you got yeah. in an independent sale, you got nothing to lose because that's the only other option you have for to have somebody buy your practice. Certainly you're going to shop for a buyer if you're going to do an independent sale. And, and let's say you had one that just was just like you look, you look like you talk like you and you thought, Oh, this is a great legacy. Yet somebody else is willing to pay $200,000 more, but you don't like them. That was your choice. Okay. But you've, you've decided that you're willing to walk away. So this is icing on the cake and everybody's invested in stock. Everybody's invested in real estate. They purchased whatever they purchased, gold and silver. It's a timing issue. Will it work in the future? We hope so, but there's no guarantee. Yeah. So the whole thing is, if you're going to do this, the why, you're looking at, at this stage, retirement. And you have a certain amount of money that you think you need, a certain amount of, of, of return on investment you think you can make afterwards. And I would add 25% that kind of as a, as a hedge against things going up and down. But you come up with this formula. And so you know what it's going to take. Hopefully that money after cash at closing, you're not depending on that. Yeah. So let's, let's throw specific numbers. You know me, Mike, I'm a numbers okay. guy. All right. So you got to practice. Let's, um, let's say round numbers, million dollar practice, million dollars collections. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And you've got a, um, so you're looking at a, a doctor to doctor transition. Mm. Okay. And let's use 75%. So they're going to okay, pay $750,000 yeah. cash at closing, walk away. Yes. Right? Asset sale, walk away. On the other hand, you've got a DSO option. Yep. Let's say they're going to buy, let's say it's a joint venture deal, or let's just say they're, they're going to buy 100% of the practice too, but keep you on for three years. And the cash at closing is going to be 800, let's say. Okay. Is that what you're saying is make sure that 800 is more than that 750? So you got that. Yeah, now, now remember, there's too, no clawbacks to it. Yeah. Remember, too, on the DSO, we have two different types. One's going to be an asset purchase. And so the average tax may be after sale because part of it will be capital gains, part of it will be ordinary tax. Let's say it was 30%. Would that be fair? Yeah. Average, depending on the state, for sure. 25 to 30%. Okay. Yep. Would be in taxes. Now, the one that's buying only, um, controlling amount, it's always a stock sale. So right. that'll be at capital gains, whatever they give you. Mm -hmm. But you've lost complete control and you didn't sell the whole practice. So the amount of money you got is much less, maybe 40% less than you would have gotten in an individual sale or a DSO. So did, did I say that too quickly? Did that oh, make you, sense? You said it perfectly. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that's just the key. I mean, I think what you're saying on the DSO deal is make sure that the cash at closing that you're getting in your hand, right. no clawbacks attached to it. Right. That's your that's your cash. You can go put under your mattress. Right. That it's more than what you can do in a doctor doctor deal. Right. Okay. And make sure, I guess, that it's it's. I mean, you know what your why is. I think that that's a great point you hit at the beginning because a lot of people don't think through why they just like I got to sell it. I got to sell it. Now's the time, right? <laughs> Now's the time. Well, it's that FOMO. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, fear of messing out, you know, and, and again, 
if if the majority of the people are foaming at the mouth, you missed it by 10 years, dude. I mean, you know, you're not you're not even close to hitting it. Uh, so there is one other danger in all of this. Yeah. And and you could probably speak to this and it may not be something you want to talk about here, but there there is the question of any sale of having a pot full of money at one time you need to invest. Well, what if it had been six months ago and you put it in the stock market that was giving a 20% return. And then three months later, there's, you know, 20% dip and it's getting worse. So, I mean, you know, so we're not dollar cost averaging anymore. We have, right. again, I mean, it's like, that's the, the fear I have for doctors because these are people that I want to bump into and they go, well, I'm glad I called you and talked to you. I don't even know who these people are. I, I've never seen their bodies. They just, it's a name and they're just asking advice. And I'm telling you what I do. Uh, it, it, it scares me because you are killing the golden goose. And, and really you need to think long and hard about the why and the details way below the why uh, before you do these things and yeah. not get in a rush thinking you're going to miss out. You're not going to miss out. So, yeah, go into just a little bit, Mike. Let's go back to my example, doctor, to doctor versus DSO. Okay. Doctor to doctor trans transition. How much due diligence are you doing on this prospective buyer? Or do, now, does it does it matter since they're buying and you're walking away? Okay, basically, if you put a mirror under their nose and it fogs the mirror and the check clears, okay, it was a successful sale. I mean, as long as we didn't talk about this allocation of sale was good, all the tax stuff around it was good. Uh, then that's it. Now, certainly if I had three buyers chomping at the bits, willing to pay the same price, I'm going to take what I felt like was the best buyer, right? Sometimes you're not going to have those options. If you're in Aberdeen, you know, the Dakotas in Aberdeen and not a lot of people want to live in there in the winter, then you may have a very minimum number of doctors that would be standing in line to buy your practice. Okay. So you may never have that option to to do that so the timeline would fit okay let's say it's two years if you're in a place that that's not it's not i don't know austin texas or denver or i mean someplace that a lot of people want to go then you have to understand there's fewer buyers uh the price will be a little bit lower and uh again you'd have to be able to decide fairly quickly not a lot of dating time uh, I think that's a false misnomer. I mean, everybody's dated a girl. The minute you go steady with her, they, ah, I'm, you know, or, you know, or, you know, there's what, 51, 52% divorces now. Obviously, you know, there's times when things appear good that don't end up good. So yeah, I'm with you. If, if, if you get your dollar, you know, what you need, then that's the buyer if you don't have any other options. So hit on the flip side. So Again, not putting words to your mouth, but not as much due diligence on a doctor to doctor. You know, you know, right. you said the, the mirror fogging it up, that sort of thing. What about a DSO? What, yeah. What are you and looking at on that DSO? Now, I run background checks on everybody I talk to. I even read back, rank background checks on YouTube on Jared and Bill. Oh, clear. I mean, flying yeah. colors, right? Yeah. Yeah. You did. <laughs> I mean, you know, but I mean, it's, it's like it's, you know, I'm not that smart. But I do, I don't want to go into a conversation with somebody without doing due diligence because sometimes we're talking about a bunch of money. And, and I just, you know, uh, Howard Ferran said this. He says, I don't know about you, but 
I like to kiss and hold hands before I get taken advantage of. Okay, so so yeah, I do think in any sale, you need to do due diligence. Due diligence in an independent sale might be check the state board to be sure there hadn't been a lot of, of claims for about 45 to $60 uh, you know, in the process of transferring information. You do a background check on somebody. Now, if they'd gone bankrupt before, I don't care about that. Okay, I just want to know in transparency when I'm talking about about things that we can talk about anything and that we're not trying to hide something. You know, I just want to go in the room knowing that DSOs are the same way. I track down, you know, who's the principal, you know, what their track record is, uh, what any litigation was done, all of that. So, uh, you know, it, I, I go through all of those. So, yeah. What about let's let's back up a little bit in time, right? Let's okay. say they're two years out. What, what about a, a, I'm going to say a younger doctor maybe okay. is, I don't know, I'll throw a number out there, 40. Okay. Right. And they're, they're, I don't know, burned out. They're tired of dentistry. They're just burned out. What right. they've got, they've still got the same options, right? Well, should they be looking at anything differently or? Yeah, I do. Work? I do think that is something that, I mean, and I see doctors rushing to sell yeah. the DSOs because they're, they're, they're just, I mean, it's attractive. You, you know, you work in a profession that doesn't play to your personality and you may be, you may do a great job of it, but every day it's, it's really just work. Uh, and, and again, I've canceled them and I counseled them on, on going, Oh, what is the really bugs you? And it's all well, staff turnover or dealing with this, or I don't like this procedure. You know, you could fix all those things, you know, from outside looking in, you could fix that and you'd be happy. So they want to sell it uh, and they're very quick to jump on and do it. But I don't think they spend enough time on the next part of it because you still got 20 years of career. Exactly. There's a lot to be considered that uh, no matter how much money it is, I've, I've yet to see a dollar amount that you could sock away or you could get it sale that you couldn't spend all of it. Yeah, right. and, 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 you know, and at 40, you don't have any idea what college costs for kids. Right. You know, well, and if you have a, a girl, I mean, what a wedding cost, mm. you know, or if you have a special needs child, sure. the ongoing cost now, and I even include in special needs, an art student. I mean, if you've got to support them the rest of your life, I mean, you know, and, and I'm trying to be funny, but it's, it's, it's all encompassing. You need to look at this like, and I think there's a benefit too sometimes for working hard as a model for your children to see that what you do. I mean, because I've had friends and cousins that had lots of money in their family and their kids didn't turn out too good, okay? So, I mean, there's a lot to determine at that age, things that you can't imagine. And even at 40-ish, you think you kind of got a handle on what the future should, could, would look like. You know, it, I mean, and you deal with people that die and you're looking at all of the stuff that they didn't take care of. Attorneys that knew better and didn't take care, okay. So we're, we're tasked with cleaning this up after we see that, no, they didn't do this very well. So yeah, it's the next that I would really take a hard look at. I mean, you know, now granted at that age, you could start, certainly start over, but I guarantee you, I've rarely seen a 40 to 45 year old that can, that really realized when this, they sell the DSO, they said, yeah, I'm going to go back and just don't want to practice. I don't like working with these guys and how, how much time it takes to grow a practice in a more competitive environment and an economy that doesn't support that. A lot of people think that, yeah, I'm pretty smart at this, 
but well, timing heard, had something to do with it, you know. Yeah, where you I've, heard, I've heard that several times from doctors. Yeah. Let's say younger doctors. Let's yeah. use the forty example. That they're like, hey, I'm thinking about selling. I'm going to cash out, take the chips yeah. off the table. Valuations are high. I'm going to get good money. And then if it doesn't work out, I can always go over here three hours outside the non-compete after whatever time and do it again. Yeah. It just seems too easy, doesn't it? Yeah, kind of. Because you need to remember in a sale to a DSO or an individual, if you work as an associate, you have a non-compete for the sale. Okay. And then you also have a non-compete as an employee. Right. Okay. So some of those will stack. And again, I, you have to be very careful when you read this non-competes for DSOs sometimes include any office that they own and they're accumulating offices. Let's say, not that Heartland does this, but you know, I think they have 1600 practices. I mean, they could have practices where you're thinking, Oh, what well, if this doesn't work out? I'll, we've got a summer home down here. I'll move there. And I'll do it. And let's say they open it while you're working this other practice. And you didn't even know it. You're in violation yeah. of that. Okay. So that that's the trouble with contracts. People that do this all the time and draft these contracts are very wise about what they stipulate and how they're written. So they're not, they can't be misinterpreted in a legal situation. And oftentimes you think, oh, it's kind of a handshake deal. They're not going to be that, you know, pushy about this or that. Yeah, they are. So. Or they can be. So. so so two last things here, Mike. One, and this is a big question, but you know, dental practice owners out there right now thinking about selling in the next yeah. five years, one year, whatever. Yeah. There's probably nine million things they can be doing to maximize the value of their practice. But what, what would you recommend? Like what do you start doing? That sort of thing. Well, now this is going to sound off the deal. Yeah. But I would go contact a DSO and tell them you're interested in selling. Now, why would I do that two, three, four, five, 10 years away? I think it's worth going through the process of understanding what the street value of your practice is. And when I say street value, not what they're willing to pay you total, but that at closing and, and what the going back and forth is and what they do and don't like about your practice. Okay. That is great advice. Now, okay. Now, secondly, if you're just going to list, you know, you're talking about things getting ready for purchase. That DSO is going to require a bank package. And I, I don't think we as dentists look at the value of our practices the way uh, financial people do, the way you do. And, and during that, they're going to give you a list of things they're going to want. I think you should put that together. Because if you decide to sell, not to the DSO, but to anybody else, you're going to have to supply that to the purchaser. Yes, okay. But it gives you a chance to look at what are they looking at that creates value? Where are they looking? Because it's not an appraisal. Okay. Yeah. No one ever looks at an appraisal. Yeah. Banks wad them up, throw them. DSOs won't even peek at them. They do this themselves. Yeah. So you're wasting your money. Okay. Unless you're just clueless. And, and your CPA could tell you approximately what it'd be worth. So I, I think it's, uh, I, it's great advice. I mean, educating yourself. I've got a client right now that, that basically is, is kind of doing that, is getting right. a, um, a feel, right, right, for what the practice is worth, what it could right. transact. It's not going to move forward. Right. But now you kind of know where point A is, where you are, and then point right. B is where you need to be right. in, in, in order to get there. So I think that's great advice. I think probably nobody does. 
Okay. And then I, I would go out and get a, a triple net or absolute net lease, a new one as of today mm -hmm. at the value that it is today. Now, keep in mind. If you if own I, the real estate, Mike, is that what you're getting at? Yes. On the real yeah. estate. Yeah. If you've got an, if you own a building, because I want that, whether it's going to be an associate buying in, it's going to be an outside buying the practice or a DSO buying, they're all going to look at the lease because most of them will not be able to afford to buy your building too. Right. And you may not want to sell it if you if it's paid for, okay? Yeah. Or, or it would be paid for in 10 years. But you need to remember, when I go out and lease a strip mall spot, there's the lease and then there's the lease held improvements. Right. Okay, so keep in mind, regardless what a real estate agent tells you, the square footage lease on a building to a dentist that's already built out for a dentist is more than the normal commercial lease. So I would want that in place with a 10-year lease so that it was ready to go, okay? Now, thirdly, uh, now it'd be nice if we had secret so uh, shoppers for dentists, but <laughs> someone that could go in and just look at the practice and see what's good about it. One is street appeal, signage. Uh, you walk into the building, you know, there's always boxes, there's clutters, there's smells. I mean, you really just need, it, it, a lot of people don't want to spend the money to add a little, a new tile or replace the carpet or paint the walls or, but it's, you're selling the sizzle to a buyer. Yeah. And, and while they might not think this, they're going to feel the grass is cut and it's edged, not with a weed eater, but an edger and it's perfect. And there's no poison ivy in your flower beds. And there, I mean, you know, it needs to appeal to a female's eye. That's real important. Uh, I will say this too, in the process of doing this equipment, a lot of doctors, well, I need to get all this new equipment. There are companies that'll come in over the weekend and they will repaint, reupholster everything in your office. It looks brand spanking new. You could take cabinets and kitchen refurbishers. They leave the cabinets alone. They just replace the cabinet faces. It looks brand spanking new. I mean, if you wanted to doll it up, I wouldn't spend a lot of money on it. We had, that, be, we had that same comment in another episode, Mike, where it was yeah. kind of like, if you're looking to sell, don't go out and buy new equipment right no, now. No, no, no. Because, because, and you can hit on this just a little bit, it, it's not going to give you the return when you sell it to pay for the equipment right. versus the loan yeah. or the check you cut to pay for it. Yeah, right? in a sale, in, in, gosh, we spent so much time on this. In a sale, the seller thinks certain things create value. The buyer thinks totally opposite. And I'll give you a real quick list here. But, you know, the, the, you know, as far as equipment goes, regardless if you've got, if just a year old or it's 20 year old equipment, it will only affect the purchase price by about two to 5%. Yeah. I mean, it's negligible. And if you had to go spend a hundred grand for a 3D cone beam, you're not going to use it or it's going to be gone. It's just not, not worth it. Okay. It's just not worth it. Now, on the other hand, I've had doctors go, yeah, you know, I said, I, I just work three days a week. And, you know, I, I you know, we don't even have an average practice. We only do about 500,000. And I'm sitting here going, awesome. Okay. And he goes, he said, I don't, I don't do endo. I don't do implants. And, and you know, I just got a part-time hygienist and, you know, I mean, he's telling me all these bad things. So I don't really take insurance. I'm going, yes. Okay. So I'm going to pay him, you know, of uh, 350,000 for a $500,000 practice. In less than a year, I can quadruple the value of it. Mm. Okay, because I'm looking as a buyer at the upside. Right. Okay, I'm looking at, well, I don't see kids. I can see kids. 
I don't work Friday or Saturday. I can work Friday or Saturday. I don't do any. I can do endo. I, you know, it's like, so I'm looking, this is a gold mine and the location is good. I mean, you know, so, but DSOs don't look that way. They look at about a million dollar practice, but you'll notice that DSOs never increase the productivity, never increase the profit. Okay. And they don't want to make changes. Okay. You, you've got something, okay, we're really outgrowing our practice. We need to go to an eight op office from a six. They will never do that. They're not interested in the way that an individual buyer that's, look, that's a business person looking to buy it as a dentist and grow it would look at it. And so some of the things that you think are not good things for you, I'm going to pay more than I would normally pay. I might pay 80%. Yeah. Hit, okay. hit, on, hit on just a little bit, Mike. And this is, I get this questions quite often, I guess. And I'm going back to the equipment. Yep. And then what I want you to do is unpack what, what gives a practice value. I think you've got some other points there. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But the equipment part. So I've heard it like, hey, like I'm, I'm selling my practice yep. and my practice is worth more because I just bought a cone beam last year and it, you know, it cost me X and I just paid for it. It's only got a year. And so my practice is worth more compared to another practice that's got old equipment doesn't have a cone beam how, how would you justify you said two to five it is, it is worth it's worth maybe two to five percent more so while two to five percent okay. isn't the value of the cone beam though right i mean so again there there is a along the same line they'll go well i you know i do tmj or i do uh uh implants or i do if i'm buying that or if a dso is buying it they'll actually subtract the money from pseudo specialty stuff from what they're willing to offer because mm -hmm. they're not going to do it after the sale. Right. Okay. Now, I mean, it'd be Botox, something that you're never going to do, but this practice, 20% of its income came from that. That means the value of practice is less because that's what you do. Sleep, you know, medicine, they're not going to do it. Most likely it's too hard to find doctors to do those things. And they want to run this as an absentee owner. And, and so, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, it makes perfect sense that if I just put a brand new set of tires on my car, the car should be worth more. Yeah, it's not. Now, in negotiation, if, if I looked and there were crappy tires, I'm going, I'm gonna have to buy new tires. I'm gonna have to. Okay, it's it's give or take, but overall, we're we're the give and take is that five percent is not the big value of the practice. So it really doesn't matter at all. Doesn't move the needle that much. Yeah, and and keep in mind, and and this is the because you've hinted at it. There's inflated sense of value for most doctors. And it really comes down to the buyer of these things. You know, the number of days that you work, uh, you know, long-term team members, uh, what your hygiene produces. I mean, that's like found, that's like putting on a pair of skinny jeans that you couldn't put on for 10 years. You find a hundred dollar <laughs> bill in the pocket. Okay. It's like, dude, I lost that weight and I got a hundred dollar bill in my pocket. Okay. Uh, because that's, passive income from a source other than the doctor, yeah. you know, for the buyer. Okay. It's going to be there. And oftentimes patients are tied not to the doctor. The goodwill is tied to the team. It could be that one person at the front desk. It could be that hygienist. Or when I look at, I look at the income of employees, there's always one employee that's making $40 an hour for, for emptying the trash cans. And I'm going, what is this? You know, is this your ex-wife? Right. Or is this your, you know, ex-spouse or, you know, is this a, what, I mean, you know, and, and so you're looking at these things. So again, 
hygiene production is a huge value point. Number of new patients, more than an average practice. So 25 to 30 is average. Yep. Okay. You're not getting at least that and knowing where they come from. Uh, okay. Services that you don't offer can create value. Because if it's a, a generally accepted, I've been into to office that I said, well, do you, do you do extractions, oral surgery? No, we don't do any oral surgery. You see kids? No, I don't do any kids. Do you do dentures? No, I don't do any dentures. I mean, how in the heck do you keep open? I mean, you know, yeah. so, but buyers are looking at this and go, that's, that's a plus for me. Uh, uh, ages that you don't treat, like the kids, okay? Uh, so a wider range of ages, wider range of services are, are bring value. Uh, where are your patients from? Every practice management software has a report, like dentures could be a, a practice analysis report or, or EagleSoft is a patient a statistics report, you know, something like that. But it gives the uh, patients by zip code, patients by age, uh, male, female insurance, no insurance, number of active patients makes a big difference, yeah. okay? To a buyer, that creates value. Uh, accounts receivable, nothing past 90 days, zero. Okay. Uh, you know, it's just, it's all of these, you create a picture of either a well-run, well-managed office with upside potential or a headache. I don't want to buy. Yeah. Okay. And, you know, again, for this, the, the doctors, the investment, uh, and we said this before we got on, it's like HGTV where people are trying to sell a home and, they're thinking, hey, we just put in this pool, which is like an eh, wrong answer because it doesn't create increase in value for what you spend. But the people that are fixing it up for them said, well, let's redo the kitchen. Let's kick out a wall or two so it's more open. And let's redo the master bath and the master closet. And then just put paint and lipstick on it. It's going to sell for $100,000 more than what you put into it. Yeah. Okay, so... Uh, so those, those are the things, things I mean, we, we talked about this in other episodes too. Like I always use the analogy, cleaning up the car. These are the things like Mike's saying is yeah. what you need to be cleaning up in your car, right? To make that yeah. car look better, yeah. sell for more. Yeah. I mean, all these yeah, And it's things. funny. It, it's what you should have been doing every month when you were in practice that would have pushed you to the point that you wouldn't want to sell it. I'm killing it. Instead of selling it, I'm just going to cut back to three days a week. You know, I'm going to, I'm not going to see Mrs. Gut Rocks anymore. Let the associates see them. You know, I'm not going to do that procedure that gives me heartburn every time I do it. In fact, let's line all the staff up and say, count off one, two. And they go, one, two, one, two. All the ones take one step forward, you're fired. Okay, and you know, you just do whatever it takes to make you a happy camper and work a little longer because every year that you continue to work and don't increase your lifestyle is probably 10% you don't need in savings. Mm. Okay. I mean, you, you need just... to think about, I mean, you know, like, let's say you're going to sell it, but you have some niggling deal that you couldn't get the right price, but you feel like I'm going to FOMO it out. I'm not going to miss out this opportunity. Just stay and devote half the attention you took in thinking about the sale or the last vacation. And you could probably increase your practices 30 or 40% this year and lower your overhead and get staff to stay and you'd be happier. And so I had yeah. one doctor that couldn't afford to retire. He made the sale. But I said, I want you to keep 2%. And all he did was ortho. And he only worked four days a month. And so he worked Monday, Friday, took off a week or two, and then worked Monday, Friday. And, and, and 
He couldn't afford to retire, but he was clearing $120,000 a year just doing that. And his mm. retired assistant, he paid her cash just to come in and help him on those <laughs> days. And he was happy as a clam and, and stayed doing that for 10 years. And finally, we got to just gave the 2% to the doctor that bought the practice. So yeah. there are always options that you don't hear on the table because people have something to sell you. Yeah. And they're well, hammering this. What you just said there is gold because these things that he just went through, that you just went through, Mike, and things to do to prepare yourself to sell. If, 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 you're, if you're listening to this episode and you're like, I don't know, you're 40, I'm going to keep using that word, you're 40 or, or age, and you're like, well, dude, I'm not going to sell for another 20 years. I don't need to listen to this. Well, bull crap. Because if you start doing this stuff now, you're going to set yourself up to when you do sell, you've got it all taken care of. Well, you can, you can reap the equity in your practice now. There I mean, it is, right court. there. What you just or if you're said. just starting out. I mean, if you do this right, and, and I like to think of doing the right things. And again, you have to be careful who you emulate or who you listen to. But if you listen to the right people, you can get a 10-year education and a 10-year head start on your income that if, again, if you were real young, you're just, let's say, 26 and you're starting out, that compound interest of, of not making the mistakes and, and, and not, you know, successfully ending three marriages as a wealth building strategy. And, you know, all those things that just tend to, when you're looking at the guys at the late, you know, there's 64, look back, well, if you hadn't done that, we'd have been sitting pretty. Okay. That makes a huge difference. So you're not going to miss out on anything. There's no rush. There's never going to be perfect timing. There's never going to be a perfect result, but don't rush into this without, you know, be interesting to do a deal where we actually had people online that could ask you questions because that just stimulates peeling more layers of onion off. Of yeah. This. And that's the thing about this whole topic. I mean, we could talk hours and yeah. hours and hours about it and I love it. I mean, you're an expert at it. I love talking about it, but just, I mean, to hit on some of the key points you made, I think the first, I mean, they're all gold, but the why and the timing, think about that now. You know, why, if you're thinking about something, why are you thinking about, it? why do you have this feeling that you want to sell? You know, are you getting up there in age? You don't know how many years left you think of clinical dentistry? Is it, is it money? Is it health issues? Whatever. But the why hit on the timing, you know, do you need to do this in two years? Do you need to do it today? Do you, can you wait 10 years? Think that through. But then the, the second point, when we really dove into the two different types of sales is do the analysis on both. Don't just automatically think, well, DSO sales better or doctor to doctor's better, run the numbers and look at it. Because there's pros, cons, as you went through, Mike, on all of them that you need to analyze. Uh, and the third point, start doing this stuff now to clean up your practice. Even if you don't sell, start cleaning your practice up now to where what you said is you can reap the equity out of your practice now by making it better today instead of having the only way to reap the equity is by a sale, right? Bye. Do it today. So, man, Mike, we could talk all day, man. Okay. Any, anything else? That's a big question. Anything you want to leave our viewers? Now, not that I can do in two minutes, but I, you <laughs> know, again, it would be interesting to, to, I know you, you know, you, you mentioned to me the topics that you were going to cover. It would be interesting to come back and then highlight each of the, the, the speakers, you know, I mean, yeah. honest you know, what they suggest. And again, I'm not suggesting that anybody is wrong or jaded, but, but look at it and then, and then go over. If you were an educated 
person, you were looking at the option of selling, what were the pluses and minuses of each one of them without having that person in the room? We're just talking about it. And then what conclusion could you draw from these six people or five experts and then you and me? Okay, so, because we're not the experts, okay? But, you know, just, you know, and, and then I think you would have a better balanced approach. It's not like we want to tell you what to think. We want to help you think differently about this. So you stop thinking like a dentist and, and really look at this the way people that do this for a living look at it because it'll make it, it's not hard, it's not difficult and it'll make perfect sense for you. Yeah. And That's really awesome. great dividends. And, and a lot of the, this, these points we've hit on a lot of these episodes is educate yourself today about what's out there. I think a, a ton of these, you know, people we've interviewed have said that. Educate yourself today. You said it. Hey, you're thinking about selling or whatever. Go test the market. Just put it out yeah. there. Talk right. to some DSOs. See what they would sell for. See what they like. See what they don't like. And educate yourself. And I think also, I'm going to kind of circle back to what you said at the beginning. I don't think you said this exactly, but surround yourself with people that are willing not to just tell you the things you want to hear, but what you need to hear so that they're helping you instead of just trying to sell a service to you. So. Now, people that tell you what you want to hear, I mean, tell you what you need to hear, will not be offended by you making a decision counter to their advice. They're, they merely want to help you understand your options in a very transparent way. And they understand this may not fit you, but, you know, that's right. Make the decision. All, You're an educated consumer now. Yeah, all practices aren't created equal, right? So one, one practice might do well for a doctor, a doctor transition. One might be good for a DSO you know, a different type of DSO structure too, right. you know, so it just all depends. So Mike, I appreciate you, man. You guys, yeah, anytime know, we'll leave the contact info. You guys know how to get a hold of Mike. I mean, heck guy gives that a cell phone number. So yeah. we'll put his contact info here. And like I said, you guys out there listening, share this with somebody who you think would benefit from it. Subscribe to the podcast, leave us a rating, good rating, not a bad rating. Leave us a review. Um, we appreciate you guys out there. Hope you enjoyed this series. We're going to start doing smaller series like this, like five, six part series. We'll have Mike on probably every single one, to be honest with you, plethora of knowledge on this, but um, I hope you guys got something out of this. If you guys have questions for Mike, reach out. If you have questions for us, our team, reach out. We are here to help. We're not going to tell you what you want to hear. We're going to tell you what you need to hear. So guys, we appreciate it. You guys have a good day and we'll talk soon. Bye.